I'm delighted to see each one of you in the service tonight. You don't know how happy I am. If you weren't here, I'd be here all by myself. And I know your schedule today, and you're not finished. And uh, if I'm smart, I will soon be. <laughs> if you'll open your Bibles to Colossians 3, the basis of what we'll be speaking about tonight will come out of the third chapter. And I have the New International Version. You can follow along with whatever version that you have. At verse 15, it reads like this. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. We mentioned this morning the difference between Greek thought and Hebrew thought regarding this aspect of what it is to know God. We're all influenced by Greek thought, but when it comes to knowing God, we're going to make a tragic mistake if we think that we can ever figure Him out in our minds, because God is only known by experience, not by examination or reason. We only discover Him as He gives revelation of Himself to us. So tonight I wanted to speak along the lines of the practical aspects of knowing God. Although we contrasted the two elements of the way that we tend to think this morning, there's another I guess it's uh, akin to that way of thinking. And if we're not careful, another line of thought can trip us up so badly that we become ineffective in the kingdom of God and it can really hinder us from knowing God at all. And that error, error at least one of the errors that I can think of, is to separate life into what we would term secular and sacred. The problem arises from the fact that we really inhabit two different kinds of worlds. We inhabit the natural world and a spiritual world. They are conceived as apart from one another and morally incompatible. And as a result, we tend to live divided lives. In the natural world, we see ourselves eating and sleeping and working and playing and those things that go along with the, with the natural world in which we live. We must live in this world. We simply have no choice. In fact, we have to give a lot of attention, a lot of attention to this world. But we also realize that there's another part of us, and tonight I'll be addressing those that, that do have a knowledge of God. There is another part of us where we realize we are His children, we belong to God, we enjoy fellowship with Christ, we pray, we read His Word, we attend church, and we worship, and we do all different kinds of acts that if it were not for faith would make no sense at all. And so we have the spiritual aspect and the natural aspect, and we tend to departmentalize or divide ourselves into these two areas. One is the area of faith, the other we relate the area of fact. 
One is the spiritual, the other becomes the secular. One it takes God for us to do, the other one we can do on our own. We go about the secular task sometimes with a sense of frustration or an uneasiness that the secular takes too much time and we long for the day when we will be rid of this earthly shell so that everything will be spiritual. Now, many Christians are caught up in this trap. I can tell you that this false thinking arises from erroneous Greek thought as well, but you would probably think I'm on some sort of a Greek kick, so I won't even mention that tonight. But many Christians are really trying to walk this tightrope between the two kingdoms, and they're not at peace in either one. And because of that, their joy is robbed, and their strength is weak. So the sacred and the secular antithesis has no basis in the New Testament. I guess the Lord Jesus would be the best example of this. He did not know a divided life or a divided loyalty. He ate, slept, interacted with people, and grew up and did so without a divided morality. He told us that we were not to set our affections on this world, and even in prayer to God, he regarded the disciples as not of this world, but at the, in that same prayer he said, Father, I pray that you would not take them out of this world. So it is in his plan that we stay right here and operate and function in the natural without experiencing the conflict. Even Paul encourages us to do all to the glory of God in 1 Corinthians 10.31. He said, whether you eat or drink, and he even picks up those two things that we would consider the natural, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. The question is, do we really believe this? A couple of sermons ago, I preached on the topic, the glory of God. And then I... I mentioned that the greatest thing that we can do in this life is to give praise and honor and glory to Him. That's our greatest, that's our highest calling, is to give honor to God. The ancient catechism says to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever is our purpose. Now, if that is true, can we merge these two concepts and we say, can we then say this? that every act in this life, when Paul says to do all to the glory of God, can every act in this life be glorifying to God? Can all we do be sacred? Is that possible? Colossians 3.17 says, And whatsoever ye do, whether in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Everything in word and deed. What does that leave out? Well, it might leave out our thoughts, perhaps. There's another verse that says, bring every thought captive to Christ. So even our thoughts, every word, every deed, every thought needs to be in captivity of Christ so that we can do 
everything, all to the glory of God. Action, word, thought, do all to His glory. And not only all we have and all we are, like we spoke of this morning, everything that we possess needs to be given to Him, everything that we are needs to be given to Him, but the other aspect is everything that we do. Thought, word, and deed needs to be done to His glory. It's difficult for us to accept that daily tasks can be performed as acts of worship to God, but nonetheless, that's true. Here's our tendency. We get up in the morning and we say, well, I'll read my Bible and I'll pray, I'll talk to God when I get up, but then I have to go to work. Or, well, I'll be glad to teach a Sunday school class on Sunday, but through the week I have a secular job. Or, I'll be glad to visit in homes and to talk about the Lord on Thursday night, but I, I've got two classes through the week, so you know, I won't be able to talk about the Lord then. See how we kind of departmentalize our lives when we're praying or reading the Bible? That becomes sacred, but when we go to work, we leave the sacred at home. And that's compartmentalization. And that hinders our knowing God. That's just one of the practical things of our everyday life, that if it's not put into practice that everything becomes sacred, it would hinder us from really knowing Him. If we fail to believe that everything that we do is to His glory, then we fail to be able to see Him in all things. And if we fail to see Him in all things, we will miss His revelation. Can you find one instance recorded in Scripture where Jesus failed to see the Father? I, I tried to search for one. I tried to find an instance where Jesus, as it was recorded, just failed to see God in what was happening. Whether it was a place where He was or what He did. In every action, He seemed to bring the Father into the conversation. Because He saw Him. He saw God in everything He did. Well, you say, He was the Son of God. What are you? We're sons too. He's our example. Do all to the glory of God. We need to see God in every aspect of our lives. For what if He would want to speak to you and reveal Himself to you in a way that He's never shown you before where you work or in your home or where you go to school? You see, in doing all to the glory of God, we become sensitive to His revelation, His message to us that we might see Him as He is, we might know Him and experience Him because we're doing all to His glory. Anything less than that separates us from that kind of a revelation. Now, another aspect of this same idea is in regard not to what we do, but is in regard to places. One place is secular, another place is sacred. And now this idea is so ingrained within us that it's hard to get up the courage even to talk about it tonight. But I think that we've fallen into a certain trap when it comes to places. Now, God does not live in this room. Now, as beautiful and as lovely as this room is, He doesn't live here no more than He would live, let's say, in Eastgate Shopping Center. 
Now, when when I say that, I know that you react. Uh, that you just you feel something, <laughs> even though you know it's true. I shouldn't say that, right? But here's why I said it: If we're not careful, we come to church to meet God. Quote. That's where we meet Him. But we don't expect to meet Him at Washington Square. And we don't expect to meet Him over here. So we don't. And one, if one place is secular and one place is sacred, we're going to go to the sacred place to meet God. And But God, the Protestant world, has, has also... Regarding these places, uh, well, let's leave this room for a while. We'll go to something else. A little more, less personal. This is just another example. Now, I'm not against going to the Holy Land. And I'm not uh, begrudging you if you have already gone. That just That's fine with me. But we have been commercialized or we have bought the idea that there's something mystical about the place where Jesus prayed or slept or ate. And we even get baptized in the Jordan River, believing that maybe we're just a little, it's a little more holy place. But you see, there are no more holy places. One place is no more secular or no more holy than another. We've reacted a long time against the teaching that there are holy things in the Catholic Church. But even among evangelicals today, we hear more about Holy Week, Holy Land, and holy places than we ever have before. No place is more sacred than another. And I quote from Jesus. The hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor at Jerusalem worship the Father, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. God is out of the business of holy things. He once was in the business of holy mountains, holy of holies, holy days, holy garments, holy vessels, washings, offerings, sacrifices. Now, all those things were only revealing that there was a holy God. Today, he specializes in holy people. Be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That really means be ye holy in all that you do. That's the command. Well, you say God used to live in the, in the Holy of Holies, didn't He? That's where His presence was represented. But one day, when there was a man raised on a center cross, there was a veil that separated that Holy of Holies from the rest of the world. And one man, on one day of the year, had the privilege of going in there. And you know that on that day that Christ was crucified, that veil was rent in two. There are no more holy places. For God is not in the business of living in a temple made with hands. He's living in temples of clay. And you and I are holy. And when we have the concept that we are holy, every place we go becomes holy and the whole world becomes our sanctuary. And we have the privilege of worship and praise and honor and living to His glory no matter where we go. And if we can't live to His glory where we're going, we better not go. Do all to the glory of God.
Everywhere you go, we need, everywhere we go, we need to see that God can reveal Himself to us there. We need to look for Him. We need to anticipate Him. We need to learn of Him. Now let's get back to this room. I'm well aware that this room has been set aside for worship. And I think that we need to dress and act accordingly. I don't think there's any question with that. But we don't have to come to church to find God. We really don't have to come to church to pray. No more than a person would have to go to a funeral home to die. It's not the place that we're, that's connected with it. Do you want to know why this is such a, there is such a good spirit among us when we worship? Do you want to know why that we enjoy our worship services so much? Is it because God lives here? I don't think so. I think it's because of what we do when we get here. I think because we get here, we begin to sing, we begin to pray, we begin to glorify God, and we anticipate His blessing. Let me suggest something. Try this at work and see what happens. Try this at Washington Square and see what happens. You'll find that you'll meet Him right there too. Now you say, well, you know, if I started singing and praying at work, I know what would happen. And uh, I know what some of you are thinking. Are you crazy for me to sing and pray at work? Well, that's the reason why I read this Scripture. You see, before He said, Do all in the name of the Lord, He said, Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart. I'm not suggesting you do this out loud. I'm suggesting you do it in your heart. See, Paul had monotones too that he had to contend with. And just like I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to sing and disturb Darlene, I'd rather sing in my heart. She probably couldn't take my singing anyway. But if we sing and make melody and sing psalms to ourselves, wherever we are, we'll find that He's there. That's when we can do all to the glory of God. See, the verse uh, 17 is really qualified by 15 and 16. There are some things that we need to do before we do all to the glory of God. What am I saying? That God is really everywhere. Everywhere you go, whatever you do, let God reveal Himself wherever you are. Let life itself become a sacrament. Let everything be sacred. When we sanctify the Lord God in our hearts, everything we do is to His glory and honor, and the whole world then becomes our sanctuary. So whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So practical application number one is don't compartmentalize your life saying this is sacred and this is secular. If that's true, then we really can't do all to His glory and we'll fail to see Him in the things where He wants to reveal Himself. If we want to see God in all things, then in all things we have to be to the honor and glory of His praise. Practical application number two comes from the Word of God. You notice in that Scripture it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, be thankful. And then 16, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. So the Word of God is necessary if we're going to know Him. 
If God is knowable, then He must be able to communicate to us in some way. If He's going to reveal Himself, it's only logical that He has to communicate that message some way. Now, we've mentioned the experiences of life about God revealing Himself so that we say that we can know what He's really like through that particular experience. But experiences really should not stand alone. The Word must underlie all the experiences of life to keep us from being deceived about what God is really saying to us. You see, God never contradicts Himself. So if you believe that God is saying something and you pick up His Word and you find out that God really doesn't say that at all, then perhaps someone else or Satan might be saying that this is what God is really trying to tell you to do when that's not the case at all. Because the Word and what God would say through the experiences of life will always line up. He will never contradict Himself. And we will never know Him without knowing His Word. Now that's a pretty strong statement, but I believe it to be true. We will never know Him. That is what, in the sense that we were talking about this morning. We will never know Him unless we know His Word. Living the Christian life without the Bible is like building a home without a blueprint. It's like answering a letter that you've never read. And it's like starting on a journey without knowing where you're going, how you're going to get there, or why. It's the blueprint, it's the guide, and it's the plan. And when you read, don't just read the facts. See God. Jesus said, the Scriptures testify of me. And when you read the story of Abraham, don't just read the story of Abraham. See the God of Abraham. I wish we'd have had time this morning to just talk about how Isaac typifies Christ and all that's involved in that sacrifice. We left out a whole sermon this morning that we could have preached. But when you get into the Word, see God. Let Him speak to you. Let Him reveal Himself to you. See the God of Scripture. And I would suggest that when you get into the Word, develop two principles. Number one, meditate on the Word. Don't just read it. Don't just study it and don't just memorize it. Meditate upon it. And as you dwell on His Word and it's lodging in your heart, then it will become flesh and dwell among you. And you will behold its glory and you will see God. Some of the most meaningful times that I've ever had have not been in my study have not been when I was memorizing Scripture. Those are kind of hard places to get Scripture memorized. But the most meaningful times I've ever had in knowing God through His Word have been in the middle of the night. There were no lights, no Bible, nothing. Just the Word and I. And in that, God would come and He would just kind of say, you've never thought about this before, have you? No, I just didn't have anything to do but lay awake and let him speak. And then he revealed himself. I wasn't even anticipating it, but he revealed himself. Those have been the most meaningful times I've ever had in the Word, and I didn't even have a Bible in hand. It's there that he has really said to me, Jerry, be still and know that I am God. 
That's principle number one about the word. Meditate upon His Word. Just meditate upon what He says. The second thing is something that God has shown me just recently. And I'll share that with you because maybe you've thought this about the Word yourself. And that is, realize the Bible speaks now. Now, I know that's nothing. You, you've heard that before, but let me put it in this context. Sometimes we see the Bible as, as having been written whenever God uh, uh, was under the compulsion or the impression to write or to speak. And so when, when God spoke, men wrote it down. And now we've got the whole Bible and so God doesn't speak anymore. He spoke one time, they wrote it down, and now we read what was written. We read what He said. But that's wrong. The Scripture says that the Word is alive. I mean, it's really alive. And God is alive. And since His words change not, these words are fresh to me now. So when I get in the Word today, it's not like I'm reading something that God wrote a long time ago. These are words today. They're fresh with new meaning. They're alive. They're to me. And they can become personal to me. I'm not reading something that was meant for somebody else. I'm not reading somebody else's history. I'm not reading somebody else's revelation. This is God speaking to me. This is my book. It's, it's personal now. His Word is alive and He is alive, so let Him be personal with you. Let Him whisper. Let Him shout. Let Him illustrate. Let Him guide. Let Him illuminate. But please, let Him speak. He will through His Word. John 5 says this, The Father who sent me has Himself testified concerning me. And Jesus told those around Him, He said, You have never heard His voice, nor seen His form, nor does His Word dwell in you. For you do not believe the One He sent, you diligently study the Scriptures because you think that in them you will find eternal life. But they are the ones that testify of Me. We can study and still miss the fact that God speaks. Let's allow Him to speak to us in the now through His Word. Practical application number two is let the Word of God dwell in your hearts Richly. Meditate. Let it speak to you. He'll reveal Himself to you through His Word. See, everything is sacred. Dwell on the Word of God. And principle number three deals with the aspect of prayer. Prayer is simply the Christian's lifeline. It's the spiritual breath that we all must take. Learn to listen to that still small voice while you're in prayer. Some of the most blessed times in your life, I know without even asking some of you, some of the most blessed times in your life have been when you've been in prayer. Have a secret closet, but don't simply pray in secret places. Pray without ceasing. Now, do you see how prayer fits the pattern of life as a sacrament? No matter where you go, no matter what you do, you pray without ceasing. Why? Because you're doing all to the glory of God. 
It all begins to come together. In knowing God, we have to look for Him everywhere. We have to be in constant communication with Him. We have to be sensitive to what He's telling us and we'll know Him. Pray about everything. Let life be your mission. Everything you do. And when you pray, listen. Be still. The one who prays well, I believe, listens well. It is we who do not have the the know-how about how to pray as we ought. And it is He who knows our needs even before we ask. So where's the problem? Not at His end. The problem is at our end. I think one of the things that helped me the most in my prayer life was to keep my mouth shut and to listen and to know. Let prayer be the discovering of His will and His way before we ask for it to be done. And let prayer be the avenue of revelation, not just petition. Let Him reveal Himself to you as you pray. That's not easy, but that's prayer. And I know by now you're probably saying, you're talking about things that I already know about. Things I have to work at. Things I'm working at already. That's right. But the Scripture says, ye shall seek me and ye shall find me if you search for me with all your heart. Now that's a paradox. If God is in the business of making Himself known by revelation, why do we have to search for Him? What's the answer to that question? Why must must we pursue and He's in the business of revealing Himself? We don't have to persuade Him to reveal Himself. That's simply what God wants to do anyway. But you see, God is holy. So holy we can just barely fathom it, if at all. He is holiness. He cannot shower His truth on someone who is not prepared. So the things that I've mentioned tonight only help us to prepare our hearts and our mind to receive the things of God. If we are to know a holy God, we must be willing to live a holy life. That's the only way it can happen. If all of life is sacred, that is all we do. And if His Word is our meditation, and if prayer is our pursuit, then we will see Him and we will know Him as He really is. And I would like to close with a reading from Isaiah, the sixth chapter, and you know it. But I want it just to speak to you tonight. I want to just use it as a way that a man saw God. Each one of you in your heart have a way that you want God to reveal Himself to you. You wouldn't be here tonight. I really believe that. You wouldn't be here tonight if you didn't, if you weren't interested in the revelation of God for your own life. Just to see Him, to have Him illuminate your mind and your soul. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each had six wings, two wings covered their faces, and two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord God Almighty. And then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs uh, from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is gone. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Lord, here am I. Send me. And that will be our response when we see the Lord high and lifted up. My prayer is that each one of us, you and I, will make life a sacrament. That we'll see God in all that we do. And that we'll live to His glory. We will do all to the glory of God. And whether wherever we go, that becomes our sanctuary to worship Him. And that we will take His Word and realize the seriousness with which He has given it to us. That we might see Him. Not just read the accounts. Not just get the facts. But to really see the King of glory. And in our prayer life, that we would know the depths of the meaning of the Scripture when it says, pray without ceasing. Shall we stand please? Our Father tonight, we feel that we can pray for nearly everyone in this room when we say, Lord, you know the desire of our heart, the desire to know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. For to know Thee is life eternal, and to know Thee is knowledge beyond anything that this world can ever give. And the cry and the longing of our heart is like Paul when we say that, that we want to know You more and more. Thank You that You have made it possible for us to strive in our pursuits in knowing God that we might find You and be satisfied. And our Father, we pray that we would continue to learn of Thee, that we might know Thee better. And I pray that in the things that we very simply mentioned tonight, in the very practical aspects of life, that we would hold everything in high esteem and realize that God is in all things that we do. And may we never take Your Word or prayer for granted, but may we be found doing Your will. And Jesus, call us and beckon us and at any cost and at any price, teach us Thy way. That we might not just be involved in the work of the church, but that would we be in pursuit of knowing God. So thank You, Father, for these good people and for these times that we've shared together. Make these words an impression on each one of our hearts and on each one of our lives that we might be quick to obey and to do them. In Jesus' name, Amen.